2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 5. The Bible says, For we know that if our earthly house, of course that's referring to this body, of this tabernacle were dissolved, with a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Title the message this morning, The Promise Consummation of Our Redemption. The Promise Consummation of Our Redemption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity is ours to open your precious word. I pray as we look into the Word of God today that we allow you to search our hearts by your Word, by your Holy Spirit, and allow Him to have His will and His way in our hearts and our lives for our good and for Thy glory. We do pray that you would encourage your people, strengthen, bring conviction where maybe conviction is needed. And I pray as we've been in our midst this morning who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I pray today they would be convicted of their need to repent and put their faith and trust in Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, as mentioned earlier this morning during the Sun School Hour, you know, Melinda and Andrew have just bought a house. Now, they have not fully paid for that house. They have pledged buy earnest money and down payment, which is really, that's what that is, it's earnest. That's a word that's used in our passage here. And that legally binds them to complete the contract, to pay for the house in full. Yet, they've moved in. They've taken possession. They are living there. It is considered their house. Now, our redemption is similar to that. Not exactly the same, but it's similar. You know, when we are born again, we receive eternal life. The life of God. Divine life, the Bible calls it. And though we have received that, that life, we still live in a body that's going to die, or is dying. Even though our redemption price has been paid in full, our redemption has been paid in full, but we have not yet received the full benefit of that payment. However, we also have received an earnest, the Holy Spirit of God. That is the legally binding contract between us and God that we are yet to receive the completion, the redemption of this body. So the Lord here describes for us the process 
that will bring about, bring our redemption to a completion. In the mind of God, it's already done, but it's, and to us, it's not yet complete. We're still living in this body that is dying. And he gives us three things, three things I want to notice. First, there's a dissolving. In verse 1, he says, For we know that if our earthly house, so this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The word dissolving here means to throw down, to render vain, or to deprive of, of success. And Paul described that a little bit for us, uh, even in the preceding chapter. But, you know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. You know, the natural body is defiled by sin. It has a sin nature. It has an inherent inclination to do that which is evil, to sin. That's, that's in me. Paul said, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There's this inherent, there's this nature in me, this old man that, that's, it has this in inclination to do that which is evil. And so there needs to be this, this dissolving of this old man. And of course it starts when we come under conviction of sin and repent and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And, you know, we realize we cannot save the old man. The old man's not saved. The old man's still there. You can't redeem the old man. You have to be given a new man, if you will. A new spirit. New life. Luke 9.24 says, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life. You need to be willing to lose your old life for my sake. So if you lose your life for my sake, the same shall save it. So when we call upon the Lord to save us, and as we call upon the Lord to save us, you know, He gives us new life, and then He begins to sanctify us. There's a continual dissolving of that old man as long as we live in this body of this old man. Paul says in Romans 8.13, For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 16 and 17, we looked at last week, he says, For which cause we faint not, though the outward man perish. In other words, it's, it's dissolving. It's giving place to the new man. It, it, the, 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 you know, as we walk with the Lord, if we know the Lord is our Savior, as we walk with the Lord, there ought to be a continual putting off the old man and putting on the new. We call that sanctification. It's a process. It's progressive. And it starts the day you get saved, and it will continue to the day you go to be with the Lord. Your sanctification, to sanctify means to set apart. And God continues working in you and I's life to set us apart unto himself, to make us more useful, to make us more like himself. And so he says this, old, this outward man, the old man, is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So there needs to be this dissolving. If we want a new body, if we want a new body not made with hands that is eternal, there has to be a dissolving or a putting off of this old body. 
You know, he describes that for us more in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians when he says in uh, verse 54, or verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall we brought the pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So there will be a dissolving of the old man, the old flesh, the old body. But there also should be a, there will be a desiring. If you notice in verse 2, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we should not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So that he says we, you know, in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon. And the older you get, the more you'll groan. I can, I can assure you that. Uh, I'm beginning to find that out. But, uh, you know, and, and, and as we grow in the Lord, you know, just like as we grow older, our bodies hurt and ache and more and more, you know, we get new friends, arthritis and Ben Gay and, you know, and, and all those kind of things and, and uh, lots of other things that, that people, uh, uh, use to, to help them with their aches and pains. But, but anyway, uh, you know, just as the, the, the body, as it grows old, uh, aches more and more. As we grow in the Lord, there should be a, a, a stronger and stronger desire to be like the Lord. To be, to go to be with the Lord. That word earnestly desiring means to pursue with love. To long at. There ought to be a thirst for God, for the living God. A desire for that which is eternal, for that which is immortal, a desire for that which is life, for that which is of God. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In other words, they shall be satisfied. They shall receive of it. You know, when, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit of God puts us in us a hunger, a desire for fellowship, for communion, and a likeness of our Heavenly Father. In Romans 10.1, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. You know, this is God's, why was that Paul's desire? It's because that's what his father's desire was. You see, before, he was desirous to apprehend, persecute, and kill Christians. Because that was his father's desire. The old devil. Now, he's been born again by the Spirit of God. God is his father. And the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, the people that hate me. My desire for the people that hate me, even though they're my own people, is 
that they might be saved. First Peter 2.2 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. See, God puts in us through His Holy Spirit, a desire for His Word. Just like, a, just like little Lydia has a desire for milk. That's, her, that's what sustains her. That's what gives her growth. And she has a desire, an insatiable desire for that. She will get mom and dad up in the middle of the night just to get it. And she doesn't have a care whether it matters to them or not. She wants milk. Paul said in Colossians 1.9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know, Paul was saying, my desire is that what God has given me, you would come to know also. That you'd come to know Him as I know Him. That you come to understand what I understand about Him. And about what He desires for you. And what He, what He, uh, purposes in your life. In Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians 4 verses 17 through 24. He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of the mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God to the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with, a, with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. In other words, the world has given themselves over. Their desires is to go after lasciviousness and uncleanness and greediness. That's what the world lives for. But he says, not you. If so be that ye have heard him, have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, yet ye put off concerning your former conversation, the old man, that needs to be a dissolving of the old man, a continual dissolving of the old man, a putting away of him, uh, conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then he gives some illustration of the things that you put off, that, you know, put away anger, and, 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 and uh, or, or, I'm sorry, put away lying, speak truth, put away anger, uh, don't give place to the devil, uh, put away uh, uh, stealing and put on working with your hands and put off the filthy communication out of your mouth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with these things. And you put away bitterness and wrath and anger and so on. And you put all these things away from you and put on righteousness. There ought to be desiring for these things. In fact, when Paul wrote <clears throat> here in our in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you know, he addressed, there were many problems at the church of Corinth, which he addressed in 1 Corinthians. He said, you got fornication among you, you need to deal with it. you got division among you, you need to deal with it. And so he, very, he wrote a letter which had a lot of correction in it. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, he said this, for behold, this self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sword, what carefulness it wrought in you, 
Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You see, they had it, it, the, the, the Word of God that was written to them put in them this desire. This vehement desire. This indignation against evil. Righteous indignation and a, and, a, and a desire to clear themselves, to make themselves approved and to be clear in the sight of God. See, when a person is born again by the Spirit of God, has the Spirit of God residing in them, there ought to be a desire, a thirst after God. You know, 1 John 3, 3 says, In every man that hath this hope, it's talking about eternal life, hath this hope, this expectation in him, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. In other words, he has a desire to become more and more like God. He's going to seek after God. So as we're preparing for this promised consummation, there ought to be a dissolving in our life. There ought to be a desiring after the things of God. For we do thirdly have a directive from the Lord. In verse 5 he says, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Now let me read that again. Now he that hath wrought us for the self-some thing is God. The word wrought means to work out or to fashion or to render one fit. So insert that definition there. He that hath rendered us fit is God. It's God. See, it's God that's done all this. You know, we have, so often we put so much emphasis on what we do in salvation, we've almost made it as if it's of us. Well, if you just follow this four-step plan, or this 12-step plan, or this whatever this is, this formula, and then pray this prayer. That's salvation. It's not that. It's not what it is. Salvation is repentance. And you can recite some verses and recite a prayer and not be repentant. Repentance is a condition of the heart. It's a yielding of self. It's just not a formula that you follow. No, it's a condition of the heart. Jonah 2.9 says, Salvation is of the Lord. John 1.12 But as many as received... Him, to them gave He 
power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. John 10, 28. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. So we have this directive from the Lord. It is God that hath wrought salvation, It is simply us who receive it or take it as our own. It's not something we do, it's something we receive. He has also given us an earnest. And earnest, the earnest of the Spirit. Notice verse 5 again. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing as God, who also hath given us unto us the earnest of the Spirit. And so we have this directive, or this, uh, a directive is really an authoritative command. Uh, it's a specific order. And so this is, a, this is an order from God that, that Jesus promised us in John 14. He said that, you know, I'm going to send the comforter and he's going to abide with you forever. And he is the earnest. The earnest, again, is a, is a pledge uh, of, of, of something to be subsequently re- to be paid. So he is the earnest. He's the down payment that our redemption will one day be complete. In other words, the redemption of this body. And so this, we see this earnest is a pledge. It's a solemn promise. It's like a security deposit. Uh, again, you, you know, a person can go look at a house to buy it, and they pledge that they're going to purchase it, and and the and the and you know the realtor might say to you, "Well, how much earnest money are you going to put on it?" In other words, how much money are you going to put down, pledging or promising that you're going to go through with this purchase? And that earnest makes you legally liable for the performance of the contract. And this is God's pledge to us. This is God's legally binding contract that he bound himself to. When, then he gives us his Holy Spirit. He's legally binding himself to the fact that one day he's going to redeem this body also and give us a new body, like unto his glorious body. That's the guarantee that what he has said that is still yet future for us will one day come to pass. It's his promise. Of course, this pledge is not money. It's a person. It's a person. He's given us the earnest of the Spirit. Somebody has said that usually, or normally, the pledge given is the same kind of the ultimate payment. Who made the payment? God did. It was a person the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the earnest? God, the Holy Spirit, of the same kind. He's a person. 
And so this, this pledge, in the, and again, this pledge is a preview or foretaste what is, what is to come. In this case, we can expect the presence of heavenly life, not just when we get to heaven, but while we're here on earth. You're one ought to pursue discipleship because we expect to get to heaven. The goal of the Christian life is not just life hereafter in heaven. It is life here and now. It's life here and now. Discipleship is not a means to an end of going to heaven. Discipleship is not to get us to heaven it's a means, it's not a means or a way to get us there. It is, discipleship is because we are children of God now. It is for this world and for the world to come. It is for this life and the next. And again, the proof of this intention that God desires this of us is the person of the Holy Spirit. Look at, go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. Romans chapter 8 verse 14. <clears throat> Excuse me. Romans 8 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now that's, that's talking about the present. We are the sons of God right now and we, uh, ought to be led by the Spirit of God. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior and the Spirit of God dwells in us, because when we are born again, the Spirit of God takes residence in our life. He indwells us, and He's He's the one that's to lead us and direct us and to comfort us and to encourage us and come alongside and help. He's like someone that comes alongside and helps us. He he, he the word there's an old English word in Hebrews that's used called He's the sucker. He's to, he aids, he helps. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so that is in present tense, we are led by the Spirit of God. And verse 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Again, referring to the present. You know, we, we have a heavenly Father, and, and, and of course the adoption refers to something that is yet future, which is spoken of in verse 23, where it refers to the redemption of this body. And so, but he said, so the Spirit of God here is for the present and for the future. Verse 16, he says again, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are, that's present tense, the children of God. And verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So the suffering that deals with the present the Spirit of God is with us. He's a person that, that leads us and instructs us, disciples us to live right now as a child of God. To live holy and righteously and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope. But no, we're to live godly and righteously now in this present world. And the Holy Spirit has given us to help us. You see, the Holy Spirit of God, Holy Spirit is God presently with us. 
Somebody said, he is God presently with us. He is God powerfully with us. He is God reverently with us. He is not just some phenomenon of emotion, which we can reproduce in a state of intense feeling. He is God come to his temple. And that temple is your body. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and he said, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye are, have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so, the, we have this, this pledge of a person, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, and he, it, it, you know, he works to disciple us, he teaches us, he gives us understanding into the scriptures, and, and so we can apply them to everyday life. So we can live the life of God right now. A life of peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In the midst of a troubled and distressed world. See, the, mon- the moment... <clears throat> You know, he, again, he is the life of God in us now, and he is the guarantee of our coming consummation when we get a new body. But the moment one is truly born again by the Spirit of God through repentance and faith in Christ Jesus, the Lord, the Spirit of God, the life of God becomes a reality in that person's life. See, the Christian life is not expecting eternal life. It's having eternal life. It's having it. It's having it right now. It's eternal life now. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No, I have life right now. I have the life of God right now. John spoke of this in 1 John 3 where he says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But now are we the sons of God. You see, this pledge is a person. And that is the Holy Spirit. The life of God that lives within us. That teaches us, instructs us, and conforms us to the image of His dear Son. That's what we call discipleship. Well, let's notice a third thing here. We see the purpose of the pledge. And notice again verse 5. Uh, <clears throat> Now he that hath wrought us for the self-same thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. The, self, the word self-same means, you know, for, you know, for the for self-same thing. The, the self-same there means for this very purpose or on this very account. See, God's desire is to save every man, woman, Every person. And God has a purpose for every person 
who receives him as Lord and Savior. He has a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. <clears throat> it, is, it is so you can have a relationship with him, so you can fellowship with him, and you can uh, live to please him and serve him. It's not just so you can go to heaven. That's not God's desire. That's not simply God's desire in saving you. I mean, in a real sense, the only thing that's going to change between us being here and being in heaven with the Lord is we'll be able to see him and we'll have a glorified body. Now, the relationship will be more complete because we will be then like him completely. We'll have a glorified body. But, you know, we can still have fellowship with God. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to have fellowship with God. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to, to have God speak to us. That's why he's given us his word, to speak to us. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to talk to the Lord, to share our burdens, our fears, our challenges, our frustrations. Well, maybe you don't have them. Uh, you know, we don't have to wait to God, wait till we get to heaven to talk to God about these things. We don't have to wait to God just to commune with Him as a friend would with a friend. We can do that right now. Because we are His sons and daughters. You see, he has a purpose in leaving us here for this time. <clears throat> Look at Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Paul talked about the purpose in God saving his soul. In Acts chapter 26, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse uh, 15, he's uh, before Agrippa, and he says, And I said, Acts 26, 15. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? So he's replying, he's rehearsing his uh, meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus. And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee far, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. See, the Lord said to, to Saul, I have a purpose for you. I have a purpose for your life. I want you my purpose for you is you be a witness unto me. In First uh, Timothy, <clears throat> excuse me, First Timothy, chapter one, verse twelve, writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, Paul says, "And I thank Christ Jesus the Lord, who hath enabled me, for he kind me faithful, putting me into the ministry." Again, notice it's God that put me in the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. 
And the grace of the Lord Jesus was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. You know, you see, he's, what he, you notice what he said here. He, Christ Jesus was abundant, was long suffering into me for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. You know, if you would have been living in Paul's day, you would have said, if you were a rational human being, you would have said the last guy that I think will ever get saved is that Saul of Tarsus. Can such a wicked man get saved? You know, there's some people that have this idea that they're too big a sinner to get saved. I'm just too bad. I'm just too evil. When you start reading the Bible, you're going to find God saved really wicked people. They didn't stay wicked. I mean, there were sodomites at Corinth that got saved. There are some that think sodomites can't get saved. But there were sodomites at Corinth that got saved. First Corinthians tells us that. And see, Paul says, I'm a pattern. So when somebody says to you, I'm just too evil, you show them my life. You show them what I was like. You show them what God did for me. What God wrought in my life. Second Corinthians, or Second Timothy, chapter 1, again to Timothy. In verse 9 he says, Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But now is made manifest by the appearing of Jesus, our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. See, see, Timothy, God had a purpose for my life. That wicked, blaspheming persecutor of the, the saints of God, God had a purpose for me. You see, God has a purpose for every one of us. In Acts 1.8, He told His disciples, and ye shall be witnesses unto Me. You see, our purpose as God's people is to continue the work which He began. Acts 1.1 and 2 says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do, both to do and to teach, until the day which was taken up, after that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. In verse 8, he tells them, Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. You see, we have a directive from the Lord. And that Holy Spirit of God is the one that works in our lives to bring about this directive, to bring about this purpose, that we are to be witnesses of his salvation to all the ends of the earth. We didn't get saved 
just so we could get a glorified body and go to be with the Lord. Now we have a purpose. God has a purpose for us. God told Jeremiah from the day he was born, he had a purpose. He's to be a prophet unto the nations. You know, it is possible that your parents didn't expect you or didn't plan for you. But didn't surprise the Lord. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. First of all, He desires to save you and give you eternal life. And then He has a purpose for you to be a witness unto Him. To continue the work which He has begun. And this is the directive that He has given us of the Lord. And of course, the completion of all this redemption, this promise of eternal life, will end up with a new body, a new heaven, a new earth. But you know, for that to happen, there has to be a dissolving of the old man. There has to be a dying to self, a surrender to God through salvation. If you're going to save your own life, you're going to lose it. If you're going to lose, if you will lose your life for my sake, Jesus said, you will save it. There has to be a dissolution, a dissolving of the old man. You have to render it vain. Not by works of righteousness as we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of, rege- washing of regener- regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And if we are saved, there ought to be a desiring for the Lord to disciple us, to make us more like himself. We might be effective in our witness for him. And of course one glorious day we will receive that new body wherein dwelleth righteousness. But until then we have a purpose. Are you fulfilling that purpose? Are you looking for the Lord's coming? Are you born again? Do you have a desire for spiritual things? eternal things? Or are you just living for this world?